Hello, everyone. This is Food Talk with Danny Nirenberg's executive producer, Rob Perra. On today's episode, author Brian Walsh talks with Devin Clattell, the managing director of the Rockefeller Foundation, about philanthropy in the food system. On stage, they chat about the successes and warnings philanthropy brings to the food system in the way that it pushes innovation, connects global actors, and ultimately inspires communities to create change. Enjoy the show. Devin, you are the managing director for food initiatives at the Rockefeller Foundation, and that's a very famous name when it comes to dealing with with food, really. Um, You know, historically, a focus was really around alleviating hunger. As the sort of questions around food have changed, you know, food scarcity is still a major issue, but also looking at nutrition, looking at obesity, uh, looking at the environment. How has the foundation's focus on these issues changed? Yeah, it's it's a really great question. And um, I was here earlier and I heard this come up in a panel just before lunch. Mm. Rockefeller Foundation has been working on food and agriculture for about 100 years. The work we're probably best known for during that time is our work on the Green Revolution. Mm -hmm. And the Green Revolution was a tremendously successful program at creating calories in a world that felt that the grand challenge of the time was not having enough food um, to feed the world's population. And so tremendous amount of scientific research, policies, um, institutions were set up and ultimately able to double, triple, in some cases quadruple yields for wheat and corn and rice. Um, and we're incredibly proud of that legacy. Uh, the Green Revolution is generally credited with saving about a billion people from starvation, and we think that's a really important human impact. Today, we're obviously facing a different set of grand challenges, and I think we've heard a lot about that over the last two days, um, the sort of dual crisis that you're pointing to around climate and obesity and nutrition. And, you know, we recognize at Rockefeller that some of the things we did to solve the grand challenge of the last century are intimately connected to the challenges we're facing today, right? Using fertilizers to increase productivity has contaminated soil in lots of places. Using irrigation to grow bigger crops has drained groundwater. Um, Creating a really heavily grain-based R&D industry and sector all around the world has helped to contribute to a current food system which is high on calories but low on nutrition. So we're trying to be really aware of that as we chart sort of the next phase of our work forward and trying to center that work on both regenerating the environment and nourishing people. And so as a part of that next phase, we're focusing our new strategy on increasing consumption of protective foods all around the world. Protective foods are the foods you probably associate um, with the term healthy foods, things like fruits and vegetables and whole grains that are dramatically under-consumed all around the world. Um, IHME out of Washington has done some research that roughly 10% of Americans and 10% of Ethiopians eat the optimal amounts of fruits and vegetables. So this isn't a unique problem to an American food system. Um, And we were just chatting backstage about our kids and the statistic that really hit me in the last couple of weeks was a UNICEF report that came out that said that 44% of kids under two globally are never fed any fruits and vegetables. And that's just, as a parent, a pretty um, visceral and shocking statistic for me. And so um, we're really looking to work with policies and partners to design appropriate solutions in different geographies to increase access to those protective foods. Mm-hmm. I think my two-year-old might fit into that category, actually, but we do give it to him. He just doesn't want to <laughs> eat them. He just spits it back. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Um, I'm curious, you know, how does philanthropy play that kind of role? I mean, you know, that, that is, of course, what the Rockefeller Foundation is, especially when you're looking at that from a global issue. I mean, how, how, do, what sort of, where do you guys fit in there? Sure. 
So we are a funding foundation, and so I always think our first role is to support the groups in the communities and on the grounds that are doing the sort of forward-looking work. There's a few different ways that we can do that. Often, because we're able to take risks that government and private sector can't take, we can demonstrate that certain solutions and tools can be successful in a given geography. Um, One example of that that I'll share is those of us here in the U.S. have probably heard a lot about sustainable protein and the sort of trends around sustainable protein. And one thing we hear a lot about is insects and insect feed as an alternative. That has largely been a conversation in the U.S. and Europe. And we're starting to think about what are the possibilities for insect feed for smallholder farmers in Africa? And how can we start testing outgrower models where they can use insect feed to grow chickens and other animals that are a critical source of nutrition and economic stability in that region? Um, and what does that look like in a different context? So some, sometimes the role of philanthropy is to demonstrate that a solution can work or adapt it to a given context. Um, sometimes it's to build an evidence base and help people to advocate for solutions that work. Uh, a little bit scary to say, I feel like this is a really important time to stand up for science. Mm-hmm. And I think increasingly we feel like part of our voice is to encourage more research, particularly on nutrition science, which is having a bit of a right. bumpy road at the mm-hmm. moment. Um, but often we contribute to on-the-ground organizations being able to, again, build the evidence and advocate. So um, one example of that I'll just give uh, is produce prescription programs, which some folks might know of, which is where you go to the doctor and you get a prescription for fruits and vegetables. That's an idea that's really, I think, catching a lot of attention here in the U.S. And so we're supporting a couple of organizations on the ground, one in D.C. called D.C. Greens, one in North Carolina called Reinvestment Partners, to expand their programs, but also to be able to collect the data and do the evaluations that we think that they'll need to ultimately influence policymakers. We see part of the role of a philanthropy to um, invest in the short term so that policy change and institutions can change and businesses can change and carry that change forward in the long term. When we think about sustainability, um, the question around food waste is always a major one. You know, we, we, we know we need to produce more food to meet a growing population. At the same time, we know we waste something like 40% of the food that's actually produced. This is something that I know that you've focused on, Rockefeller's focused on. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Part of our journey, I would say, from sort of focusing on productivity to thinking about sustainability has been thinking about the efficiency of the supply chain and the fact that 2 billion people or so are malnourished all around the world. And yes, we're throwing out 40% of what we grow is really a social justice issue in some ways. Um, And so we launched an initiative a few years ago focused on reducing food loss and waste uh, around the world. In Africa, um, through our Nairobi team, we've been focused on working with smallholder farmers to reduce on-farm losses. And we've seen losses between 20 and 30% for about 300,000 smallholder farmers. And again, now transitioning to working with you know, large financing institutions to working with um, the AU and other policymaking organizations to create country-level plans to make those kinds of technologies and training a part of the way agriculture is done in those places. Here in the U.S., we've focused more on sort of later in the supply chain on food waste and trying to prevent food waste and redistribute, you know, healthy food to those who need it. And I'll just highlight one project there because I was really inspired by this morning's panel by uh, with the borough presidents. I don't know how many folks saw that, but I thought that it was an amazing panel, uh, and they got everything right when it came to food and health and food as medicine. And then I have to say, when they got asked the question about food waste, I felt like there was a long pause. (laughs) Um, So one thing we've been working on here uh, with support through the NRDC is thinking about how can cities really comprehensively tackle the issue of food waste. And that's everything from prevention with city um, food procurement practices 
through to composting and diversion, food recovery and food rescue in there. And they've done some really innovative things, again, around data, but also sort of unexpected ways to engage the city. So in Denver, they're piloting a program to train food health inspectors to educate restaurants and other hospitality food service organizations about food donation. And those kinds of things are really important for behavior change, which uh, I think is at the core of of eliminating food waste. Mm. You know, you, you've mentioned a, a bunch of cities that, that Rockefeller does work in here in the U.S., around the world. You know, food is such a, it's so culturally specific. You know, whether we're talking about here in the U.S., we're talking about elsewhere internationally. How do you work with that varied geographic area and also be respectful of those kind of differences? Yeah, it's, it's really hard. <laughs> and uh, I'm really grateful to folks like Danny and organizations like Food Tank that continually remind us to make sure that we have the right community members in the conversation and the right communities in the room when we're we're thinking about these things. Um, One way that we're trying to do it right now is uh, with the launch of something we're calling the Food System Vision Prize, which just launched this past Tuesday. Mm -hmm. And the idea there is to get individuals, organizations, and communities all around the world to think about what is their vision for a future food system and what is their specifically optimistic vision? Mm. And in designing that prize, we really wanted to recognize that we don't live in one global food system really, right? We live in lots, thousands, dozens, hundreds of um, interconnected local and regional food systems. And so thinking about what the future is for any one of those food systems is so important Mm. for us. And so we're hoping that that prize will help to um, connect communities with each other, connect communities with other communities around the world, share knowledge and sort of inspire a a positive vision of the future of food um, that is both regenerative and, and nourishing. And so it's in your programs, but go to foodsystemvisionprize.org if you want to learn more about that, that prize. Where do you see, you know, again, Rockefeller's been around for a number of decades now. It's going to continue to be. Where do you see it growing in the future looking at this particular challenge? I think um, certainly for us, the, the sort of dual focus on, on health, sustainability, and community is going to continue to be mm-hmm. core. I think increasingly we're going to see the influence of science in a way that we maybe haven't since the green revolution and the plant, the investment in plant science, but on the nutrition side, we're just learning so much about the way that food interacts with the body and the microbiome and cellular function. So I think there's a lot more to learn about actually the compounds in our food and and what that means for health outcomes. I also think there's a lot of um, opportunity around data. You know, I was just talking with someone at the dinner last night that a lot of our food systems, especially at the community and local level are not data rich. And there's so much we can do to make food more efficient, to get it to people faster, to be able to um, better procure food. Uh, One example I'll give is, uh, and this goes to your community question too, uh, Brian, is we're doing some work in the U.S. on school food. And I know for folks that were here yesterday, Tom Calico and others um, had some strong feelings about the need to improve school food. And I think that's absolutely right. And one of the things we're trying to do is actually help school districts to share data about what it is that they're buying and the prices that they're getting and their ability to come together to hopefully secure healthier food um, at a lower price or to share ideas around menu planning. And um, some of that just takes building the systems, building the infrastructure, supporting groups like the Center for Good Food Purchasing, which I know someone mentioned earlier. 
to allow people to see how what they're buying is affecting the environmental health and social impacts they're trying to have. Mm-hmm. You know, how do you, how do you make those connections between food and, and health? I mean, that's, you know, you, food has been its own thing. Health has been kind of its own thing as well. Now we know they need to come together. You say you're focusing more and more on nutrition. Yeah. Is that a, a you know, method of, of establishing new relationships? I mean, how do you, how do you sort of bring those two together? Yeah. I, personally, I feel really strongly that any, public or private institution, certainly in this country that's working on health, has to be investing in better food. And any institution that's feeding people food, especially with public money, has to be thinking about health. I just I don't understand, given the evidence we've seen, how, how you can disagree with that need. And um, so I think a piece of it is looking at the um, health direct interaction, as I said, between food and health. And then part of it, uh, you know, candidly is an economic case, right? Uh, The food system in this country is essentially bankrupting our health system. And we've heard a few statistics over the last couple of days. We, you know, diabetes alone in this country costs $330 billion a year. And we've seen on an individual and and level in, in sort of pilots that feeding people healthier food can save insurers and hospital systems and patients hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. And so I think we need to start to bring those economics, you know, to the center of the conversation and think about how we um, how we use that as a motivator to scale some of the solutions that we're seeing. I hope that those that are out there listening in the health sector, whether it's on the insurance side or the hospital side or the policy side, um, are listening to these kinds of conversations and thinking about how they can be a better ally in some of that. And then ultimately, I think we're going to have to advocate for policy change. I think... Um, the long-term vision is to think about how institutions like Medicare and Medicaid can help support access to food and increasing food security uh, for our most vulnerable population. Right. Right. Well, I think that's about all the time we have, but thank you so much, and thank you for the, the audience. Thanks so much for listening to Food Talk with Danny Nirenberg. Please rate, review, subscribe, and share the podcast. Make sure to return to foodtank.com every day for original reporting and analysis on the most pressing issues impacting our food system.